Good morning. Welcome to Kesed. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Danny, and I'm one of the pastors I'm going to be sharing with you today. Um, we're wrapping up a series called Choose Your Own Adventure, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I want, to, uh, I want to start by thanking all the people who uh, were honest with me at the beginning of the series. I, one gentleman said, hey, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I just think this is stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, but by the end of the series, or halfway through, he was like, okay, okay, I get it. Like, like this is kind of, kind of making the Bible accessible. The idea behind the series, if you're brand new, is that uh, the Bible is an adventure book. It's an invitation to be a part of something more than yourself. And so uh, if you grew up in the 90s, like I did, uh, there was a whole series of books called Choose Your Own Adventure Books. And every chapter or chapter and a half, they would give you an option to like decide how the story ends or, or what happens next in the story. And so what we decided to do was, was sort of frame... Uh, the Bible inside this way, because if the Bible is a choose-your-own-adventure book, then, then maybe there's a way in which you can engage it that feels more personal to you instead of just a rule book of all the things that you should or shouldn't be doing. And so what we did is we took a book every single week, and then we, added, we acted like that book was a circumstance in life. Because the truth of it is, we all know that this is a scripted experience, what you're having right now. This is, you know, roughly an hour and 15 minutes that a bunch of people got together, prayed about, and then built for the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do with and hopefully built by him earlier in the week. But it doesn't often feel very much like real life, which just suddenly, snap, happens to you. So what we did is we took the books and we said, okay, let's allow the description on the back of the book, the week of the message, to, to be a circumstance in life, and let's see how the Bible addresses that. And so that's where the series came from. And uh, I want to report back that uh, it has been one of the most successful series that we have ever done, and this is going to sound really strange, uh, but for growth, we taught on the Bible and our church just grew. Like, like how weird is that? Like, it, it's not even that cool. Like, it's, it's not very trendy. Uh, it, it's not very exciting. It just all of a sudden was like, God was like, oh, you're, you're teaching my word? Cool. I'll bring some people for you, for you to, to teach that to. And so I just want to thank all the people who've invited friends and all the people who took risks to come to church, because as we all know, Church is weird. This is a weird thing. And you show up and, and you're like, I don't even know you. And you're supposed to like speak into my life. And, and I'm sitting here listening to people sing. And what, what is this whole thing that's going on? And yet so many of you have come up and said, oh, I feel like this is home now. I feel, I feel like I'm part of something here. And I just want to say once again, you are. And you are welcome here. And I'm so, so, so excited that you came. So thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah. So this is the end of this series, then we're going to have a one-off next week because it's a holiday weekend, and then we're going to launch a brand new fall series. Uh, I'm not just excited about the fall series, I'm just going to be honest, I'm excited because I'm pretty sure the rain's coming back. Can I get an amen, everybody? Yeah? Oh, oh, yeah, people, with, people that need some rain discipleship, that's all right, you can boo. Um, the Holy Spirit rains upon the earth, and uh, that's just what he does. But I'm, I'm, I'm a sweater weather guy. I'm a hot drink and sweater weather and, and rain. And, uh, but I want to say this, in all seriousness, whether you are a sun or rain person, in the fall, as people get back into school and get back into their rhythms, that's when people start to kind of build uh, the rhythms of their families. And it, it is a great time to invite friends to church. It's a great time to ask people, hey, come and check out the children's ministry we have here is legit. It's, it's, just, it's just a notch above. We're also getting ready to... Uh, 
start and then finish the downstairs, so we're going to have even more room. And it's going to be a really exciting place for people to come and, and learn about friendship and relationship and hopefully, ultimately, about God. So, all right, I've done my little spiel. Did you like it overall? I thought overall it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was an incredibly mediocre clap. So, I, I um, wow, that was lukewarm at best. So, I receive your critique and I'll try to do better next time. Uh, let me read uh, the book that I've chosen to wrap up the series. The book's name is Planet of the Dragons. It's got an epic uh, cover right here of... Uh, these two young ladies screaming for their lives as uh, a couple of dragons try to burn them alive. So I thought that was exciting and appropriate for the close. Here's what the back of the book says. It gives a description. It says, Your life pod has crashed on the planet Tambor, which is a lot like Earth except for one thing. Deadly space dragons are, have invaded, threatening Tambor's very existence. So I didn't know if you knew this, but dragons ultimately come from space according to this book. Threatening Tambors, the, the planet you've landed on's existence. Quickly, you agree to join in the battle against the dragons. But there is time to equip an expedition before they attack again. Who knows? If you return to your life pod to gather supplies, turn to page 79. If you set out for the dragon's base immediately, turn to page 9. Beware, the space dragons can't be stopped by ordinary methods. You might be blasted by a dragon's fiery breath or buried forever in its tunnel. Or you could defeat the dragons and bring peace to the planet. What happens next in the story, it all depends on the choices you make. Uh, when I read the back of this book, I, I want to be honest in that I think this book, more than all the others, is the closest to nonfiction we have talked about so far. So if we were to turn a corner and get a little bit more serious, let me just say that the reason this book, I think, illustrates really well where we are at today is because you don't have to imagine experiencing this kind of life on a faraway planet. I'm going to argue today that you're actually living there right now. That according to this book, uh, you and I are battling forces beyond us. According to this book, there are truly, if you will, dragons trying to dismantle all things good in this world, and that includes you and I, our families, and our wholeness. There are verses that back up this kind of thinking, not very, uh, not very verses that, aren't, that you wouldn't be able to really understand in any other context other than that one. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Then it says this, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't know if you've ever really sat and pondered this, but evil is real. Its movement is real. Its strategy is real. And it is as focused on you as it is on me and everyone that we love. We are very much in a battle, you and I. And oftentimes, the way that the enemy works is just to convince you you aren't in a battle so that when you are overcome by these sort of forces, you just think, well, it must be me and the choices I've made. Now, I'm not a big blamer on the devil. I, I've never really bought into that idea. Like, well, why did you cheat on the test? Well, the devil made me do it. I'm like, no, not really. You just aren't a very good student. That's what it says. As a youth pastor, I was a bummer that way. I was like, mm, no, you're just, you just need to do better. You just need to work harder. You just need to think different about this world. Because when you give the devil the excuse for everything you're doing, eventually you're not responsible for anything. And you don't need to put on any armor if it's all the devil's fault. But the Bible says that we are to wrestle. 
The Bible says we are to engage. As a matter of fact, I said earlier in the series that at its core, the Bible is a call to participate. Today, I want to talk about what exactly we're going to be participating in. And that is, and I don't mean to offend you, a fight. That's what the Bible's calling us to participate in. Now, here's the thing about adventure. You cannot script the outcome. That's, that's part of adventuring is you don't really know exactly how each situation is going to play out. And that also means to recognize that if we are all called into an adventure and if the Bible is our adventure guide, then everyone here and everyone you come into contact, to, contact with is fighting their own unique battle. They're all fighting their own dragon. The Bible, I'll put it on the screen, makes it clear that we are all battling and that we're all called to battle. And so in this sense, dragons really do exist for all of us. Every time you walk into a room, there are people battling dragons you can't see. They're battling addictions. They're battling emotional lies they've told themselves. They're battling abuse. They're battling legacy of dysfunction that they just can't seem to break because they're four generations into thinking this is how stress is handled. You just drink it away. They're battling uh, uh, worldviews that are corrupting how their peace actually uh, comes forth in their life. They're battling all sorts of situations, and so are you. And if we could get to a place where we could be authentic about that battle and about the fact that we're all battling, then we might be able to sit in a community that's willing to engage together and support one another where I'm strong and you're weak and you're strong and I'm weak. That's the, the big secret of Kesed, by the way. People keep asking, like, how is this thing growing during summer? It, it must be the amazing, creative, semi-stupid series that you guys did called Choose Your Own Adventure. <laughs> um, my goal is to do a semi-stupid series every year, by the way. That's the most creative thing I think that we can do and just see what God does with it. But the reality is it has nothing to do with that. What it has to do with is our willingness as a group to hold tension. And that tension is the tension of your worldview and mine, your dragon and mine, not agreeing with each other where I'm attacked one way and you're attacked another and I'm defending one way and you're defending another and yet we can still sit in this room together and experience community. I met a family last service uh, that looked like it was at least three generations, a grandmother, mom and dad, and then some older teenage children. And I don't know why, but I was just drawn to them. And I walked up and I said, hi, I'm Danny. And they introduced themselves to me and I said, I haven't seen you here before, who are you connected to? And they go, nobody, we don't know anybody. They said, we've just been watching online for a year. And then I knew I was going to have a great day because I said, oh, I bet I'm shorter than you thought I would be uh, in person. And actually, the teenage daughter interrupted. She goes, actually, you're taller than I thought you would be. And I was like, come here. You're part of the core family now of Kesson. Come here. I've never heard that once in my life, that you're taller than I. Everybody, it's always, I, it, it, this is a total side note. But it, it used to offend me. Like when I would introduce myself to people, they'd make kind of this face. And I was like, man. People just don't know how to introduce themselves to each other. And then I realized it's not that they don't know. It's that they're like, I thought you would be taller and different looking. But, you know, we'll take what we can get. So, <laughs> but the truth of it is they, they were a family that decided to come and participate multi-generation. Do you think these people all have the same political views? Do you think they all think that the, the music should be the same way and, and that it all is exactly as they want and that I'm preaching exactly as I should? There's not a chance in that multi-generational family that that's what's happening. But there is a tension that they are willing to hold and a fight they are willing to sit in. And that's the secret of this place. I'm going to do a sermon uh, eventually called Trading Babies for Bass Notes that has to do with this. 
See, there's two primary uh, movements within our church. I don't know if you know this or not. Two primary movements. There's the older crowd that continues to ask me to ask our sound people and our, and our creative people to turn down the bass. Over and over and over, they say this. By the way, it's never coming down, ever. <laughs> but you can ask, and I'm respectful, right? I'm respectful. I'm like, ah, wouldn't that be nice? You know, I just, but it's not happening. But here's the thing that you don't realize about that generation. Here's the beautiful thing. When you sit down with them, when you go to coffee with them, and you, when you start asking them about what they love about this community, they're like, there's so many babies. There's so many young people here with babies. And, I, and it's just amazing to me that like God's word is pouring forth and the music and the worship and the, the community is pouring forth into those babies. I love it. Then there's another group here of the young families, the people who have so many babies. And they're just over it. And they just want to come to church and not hear that baby cry. You know what they want? They just want some bass. That's what they want. <laughs> they just want some music. They just want to vibe out. Just turn up that music. Turn up that bass, right? And they're not interested in, in that, that baby time. They have to deal with that all week. So here's my thing. Here's what the tension's about. It's about trading babies for bass notes and bass notes for babies. It's always going to be a little too loud for you. Always. And those people wish that, that it was... It was, you know, different, but it's not. But I got so many babies for you to invest in. And you know what? It's always going to be not quite loud enough for those of you who want that bass. But you know what? You don't got to listen to your baby at all for an hour and 15 minutes, generally. <laughs> Praise the Lord. This is the tension of the space that we've created. It's a silly illustration, but it works perfectly and it's quite elegant. And I want all credit for it as you share it with your friends throughout the week. <laughs> All credit, share it. This is what our church does. We're trading babies for bass notes. It's crazy. You should come see. <laughs> we have a solid nine o'clock service, so the 11 is just going to be what it is now. We only record two services, and if the nine goes well, they, they all know. The whole team's like, oh, man, the nine went good. That means 11. We're just going gonna to speed it up and see how fast we can take some of these corners. All right, so here's the deal. If we all have dragons and we can't script the outcome, then here's what I believe. What we can do is direct destination. In your adventure, you can direct destination. If you want your family to be focused on wholeness, if you want your family to be genuine, if you want your family to be kind, if you want your family to, to become more of what you see the Bible teaching it to be and less of maybe what you grew up with, maybe you grew up with a pretty dysfunctional system like I did, then you can direct some of that destination. So here's my provocative tension-bringing statement of the day. And yes, we do these around here. Here it is. Most Christians are living their lives packing a big, fat, spiritual suitcase bound for a future flight to heaven when they should be gearing up for a fight waiting presently for them just outside their front door. Very wise man wrote that. I wrote it myself, actually. That was, I, did, I, I did that one. So for those of you who are like profound and now you're disappointed, you should evaluate yourself, okay? That's, that's not right. And just like in the fictional, here's the thing, just like in the fictional Planet of the Dragons book, we all have a choice to fight or to flee. We all have a choice on how the destination that we are going to experience as a community and as families and as individuals turns out. So this is what I wanted to do. At this point in the message, I wanted to pick two different characters in the Bible, two different stories in the Bible of people who either decided to fight with God and, and become the person they were called to be, or people who decided to flee from God and avoid his will at all costs. And I was working on it, working on it, working on it, and then suddenly I realized 
that uh, there's a person in Scripture that actually did both, that both fled and fought constantly over and over and over, and his name was Moses. Let me give you some background on Moses. Moses is one of the most prominent figures in the Old Testament. While Abraham is called the father of the faithful and the recipient of God's unconditional covenant of grace to his people, Moses was the man chosen to bring redemption to his people. God specifically chose Moses to lead the Israelites from captivity in Egypt to salvation in the promised land. Moses was also the man who received the Ten Commandments and is commonly referred to as the lawgiver or Charlton Heston. (laughs) Don't think for a second when I said Moses, this isn't the first face that you thought of, so... We first encounter Moses in the opening chapters of the book of Exodus. In chapter 1, we learn that after the patriarch Joseph, who was the leader of the Israelite people at this time, rescued his family from a great famine, he situated them in the land of Egypt. Egypt. The descendants of Abraham and Joseph lived in peace for several generations until there rose to power in Egypt a pharaoh who did not know Joseph or the people of Israel. This pharaoh subjugated the Hebrew people and used them as slaves for his massive building projects. Because God blessed the Hebrew people in rapid numerical growth, the Egyptians began to fear the increasing number of Jews living in their land. So pharaoh ordered the death of all male children born to Hebrew women in order to stop the plague of the Jewish people overtaking his country. In Exodus chapter 2, we see Moses' mother attempting to save her child by placing him in a basket and putting it into the Nile. At this point, some of you are like, wait, isn't this the Prince of Egypt story? Yes, yes, this is where it comes from. (laughs) This This was the first version. The basket was eventually found by Pharaoh's daughter, and she adopted him as her own, raising him in the place of the Pharaoh himself. And so for 40 years, Moses was raised in the palace of Pharaoh. For 40 years, he was educated. For 40 years, he was inundated. For 40 years, his worldview was taught to be a specific way and that he was a specific kind of person. All of his value system would have been Egyptian. And yet something inside him knew the way he was living was not as he should be living. This is so a story of the human condition. For however many years you've lived on this earth, if you have not lived it through the worldview of Scripture and you have not been present with the Holy Spirit, I promise you, you know deep down inside that the way you're living is not the way you're supposed to be living. You know it, but you generally don't allow yourself to be still enough and quiet enough to actually hear it. And when that happens, most of the time, what we end up doing is acting out in some irrational way to try to make the life that we know we shouldn't be living make more sense. And that's exactly what happened to Moses. When he was about 40 years old, he began to empathize with the plight of his people. And upon witnessing an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, Moses snapped. He intervened and ended up killing the Egyptian, burying him in the sand. Here's the first thing you need to know about Moses. Moses was a fighter. Moses was a man who did not do well with bullies. Moses was a man who stood up for what he believed, even if it cost him. And because of that, Moses was also a man who stood in great tension with God because those of us in the room who are fighters, I'm gonna gonna proclaim that I'm one of these people. We also fight God and the way that he wants to lead our lives. Because this fighter's fight. And so God says, Danny, I want to do this with you. And I'm like, 
make me. It's never a good idea to say that to God, by the way. I do not recommend it. But I'm being authentic, that sometimes in my world, I'll see something and my first choice is to fight when really I should, I should maybe reevaluate. And there's a lot of folks in this room that relate well to this Moses, to this snapping that happens when you are trying to get back to the center of who you know you're supposed to be, but you can't. And so you act out irrationally. Eventually, it gets out that Moses killed a fellow Egyptian. Remember, he's basically an Egyptian by right at this point. And so it was made known, and Moses, instead of defending himself, instead of uh, deciding to fight, suddenly that all went away, and he just fled. This is when Moses became a fleer. That's not a real word, fleer, or at least it doesn't mean that, but it works for my sermon, so you're going to deal with it. Moses was a fighter, and Moses was a fleer. Let me say this. This connects with a lot of you. A lot of you in this room are fleers. You do anything you can to avoid conflict, you do anything you can to, to, uh, to, to stay in tension. As a matter of fact, this is the most tension you experience all week because you know that it would be hard for you to get up and leave during a talk like this because everyone would know you're fleeing. Such a bummer because people who have to go to the bathroom right now are like, oh, I just, they're just, yeah, yeah, hold it, plan better. <laughs> but here's the thing about fleers, very important. Most people who flee, flee out of the name of love. They flee because they want to love people. And it's hard for them to sit in that tension and that conflict and love people. And so they flee, they avoid, and that's why they end up feeling used and abused and manipulated by other people around them because they're trying to do the best they can to love them and they don't want to hurt them and they don't want to have conflict with them. And so they flee all hard talks and hard situations. So that's what Moses is. He's both a fighter and a fleer. And you'll see this throughout his story. Eventually, he crosses the desert while he's fleeing. He arrives in Midian, and he then sees a group of bandits harassing a group of women. And Moses just becomes like, like I don't even know what he knew. Maybe he knew like Egyptian kung fu or something. But all of a sudden, it says Moses himself defeated the, the, the bandits. So it's profound. So once again, Moses is fighting while he's fleeing. And he defends the women. And they're so impressed with Moses' fighting, they introduce him to their father, Jethro. And Jethro sees him and says, you know what? I like you. You should be part of our family. And Moses is like, well, I'm on the run, but I did just fight to save your, your family here. You know what? I think I will settle in here, and I'll just become a man who lives on the run. So basically living a lifestyle of fleeing. He marries one of Jethro's daughters and just builds a life, like with a new identity on the other side of the desert. For 40 more years, he becomes a shepherd. It's like a really lowly job at this point. For 40 years, he just walks the hills, basically avoiding all conflict while also fighting to protect his family. This is every human being in this room because the reality is you might think you're a fighter, but I promise if I sat with you for five or 10 minutes, I'll find some areas in your life that you've been fleeing and you would find them in mine. And you might be a fleer. <laughs> Wish I could have found a better word, but you might be a fleer. <laughs> you might be a fleer, but I promise you, if I sat with you for five or 10 minutes, we could find areas in your life that you are ruthlessly fighting for. This is every human being that exists. Some lean more one way, some lean more the other. Either way, Moses decides to live out his days till he's around 80 years old, both fighting and fleeing. The next major incident in Moses' life was his encounter with God at the burning bush. And so here's what I want to do. 
I want to read this really well-known story, but I want you to see within this story how God dismisses and, and uh, detangles every single dragon that attacks Moses over the 80 years of his life that he tries to lob at God as an excuse for why he can't be the person God has called him to be. Because I'm telling you right now, there are dragons in your life that God's like, if you'll just scooch over, I'll take care of that. But we're not very good at scooching, are we? We're a scoochless people. <laughs> <laughs> We are, I would love to say that with more serious, like, we are scoochless people. (laughs) I can't do it, but yeah, that's good. Okay, good. So let's read it, and let's watch as God scooches Moses over to deal with his dragons. It's Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now, here's what I want to say to those of you who are here now or watching online or streaming this later. I believe a lot of people live a majority of their life in this sort of emotional and spiritual exile, where they've made choices that they just can't face, and they feel like the most responsible thing they can do is, is go manage somebody else's sheep. Go, manage some, go be responsible for somebody who, who has it together, like Moses is for his father-in-law. I mean, he's 80 years old at this point and still managing his father-in-law's sheep. This is a man who wasn't looking for responsibility. He was like, I'm good. I'll just be the opening shift and the closing shift of the, the sheep family farm. I don't need to start my own. I, I'm good. And yet, in the midst of his exile, there is off in the distance this, this light, this light that is unavoidable and difficult to miss. I just want to say, for so many of us who have lived in this sort of emotional and spiritual exile, I think if you took just a second to look around in your story, there would be at least one light. It might be distant. It might be quiet. It might be a book you've been yearning to read. It might be a podcast. It might be this church service that you're having. It might be a friend. It might be this, just, this, this something in you that you're like, I, I'm supposed to go check that out but I really don't know if I want to face whatever that is. So allow me to say that when you face the dragon of feeling unseen in your exile, God will reveal his presence every time. There's no one in this room who doesn't have a light. Now you can see the light and turn east, but God will just move the light to the east. You can see the light and just stay where you are and think it won't come closer. It will. God's following you. He's creepy like that. He loves you. And he wants life for you. And he wants you to see the identity that he's making in and around you. Even if you've exiled yourself in every way, God's light and his presence is still wherever you are. Just like it was for Moses. So he sees the light. He walks up. And he's like, wow, this is a bush that's on fire but not burning up. This is crazy. And then all of a sudden, it talks to him. But notice it talked to him once the Lord saw he went and approached the light. That's for those of you who have been avoiding God. God has something to say, but you might actually have to show up. I mean, he's creepy and he'll follow you, but he's also a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not just going to show up in your bathroom with a you know, fire in the middle of the, the, the room. He's going to be in your presence waiting for him. Then the Lord said, When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. 
Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Now there's a lot of stories in the Bible of God's presence causing people to have to look away or him being so incredibly powerful and bright and holy and pure that people have to look away and they can't see him. I don't believe that's what's happening in this story at all because Moses came and he saw the bush that was on fire. He saw it was only once the bush talked and revealed that it was the presence of God that Moses became afraid and hit the ground. It's when he realized all the consequences from his choices, all the shame, all the mistakes, everything he ever thought he was that was a failure became present in one moment as God said, I am here. And Moses hit the ground. And may I say that when you face the dragon of fear, God will reveal his peace because that's what he's about to do next. Moses hits the ground because he is so very afraid of God's judgment on his life. And yet God is about to tell him about a task he has for him, about a life that he wants to call him back into. And I think it's so, so very important that we understand this isn't about God's powerful, magical, mystery light. This is about Moses knowing he is here and I am unworthy and falling to the ground. And yet God's peace will peaceful voice calls Moses back out of this space as he tells him what he wants to do with his story. Verse seven. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the, per the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. This one is very, very straightforward and a very important part of God's heart for this world and also supposed to be part of the church's heart for this world. And that is when you face the dragon of oppression, God will reveal his rescue every single time. God will reveal his rescue. He will reveal exactly what it is that he's going to do in order to redeem the oppression that we feel, the oppression that marginalized people feel, the oppression that maybe you feel right now inside your home, or maybe it's spiritual. God has a rescue plan for that. If you're willing to sit in his presence, receive his peace, then the next thing I believe he does, according to this story, is he begins to give you a way to be rescued but you have to decide not to flee and you have to decide not to fight because it's at this point in the story that I think Moses was like, oh, uh, no. No, no, that's, you, you've got the wrong guy. I think his head was all the way down until God said, I want to use you to do this. I want to use you to do something powerful. Verse 10, God continues, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Egypt, uh, children of Israel out of Egypt. But look at, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you. That's God speaking. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. May I just say, when you face the dragon of self-doubt, who am I? God will reveal the way. If you're listening to this sermon thinking that somehow that you, you are going to just suddenly have this assurance of, of faith and you're now going to be able to overcome all these things in your life that you could never defeat before today, starting right now, that's not true. 
The truth of it is you'll leave here knowing God has a rescue plan for you, knowing that he has a way for you that he wants you to go, and you'll get up still feeling like you're not worthy and doubting it'll actually happen. We need more church services like this. Less camp highs, right? And way more like reality. Following Jesus is hard. It costs me. It costs you. It's relationally expensive. And yet it's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life because it is me living out what it is he's asked me to do. And I beg you, beg you to spend time with God this week inside your own self-doubt, inside the fact that you don't love the rescue plan he's put into place, inside the peace that comes and goes, inside the presence that you've been avoiding for a long time, and ultimately inside his way. I beg you to try it. Just go sit somewhere. Go sit on a bench and go, okay, God, and if you're a fighter, fight him. If you're a fighter, every fighter in the room, I got to stand up because you're trying to square up with me. Listen, if you're a fighter, you fight God. You can fight me right now. That's fine. But I'm buffeted by the Holy Spirit, so I don't feel you at all. So you guys need to go fight God if you're a fighter. He's waiting. He is, he is waiting. If you're a fleer, run. Just run. Run all week long. Avoid every single thing you possibly can in the name of love and watch God still show up, kind of creepy, in, like your barista, right? Or like the car lot guy or at a traffic stop or the homeless guy, just watch him. He will show up and you will be like, ah, there he is. You run or you fight. You do whatever you need to do to be authentic and engaged with God, just like Moses does. I don't want to do this. I mean, the fire is cool and all. I'm afraid. But I'm not too afraid to go, uh, God, I think you chose the wrong person. And God's like, well, you can fight me or you can run. It's up to you, Moses, but we're doing this thing. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be in his way. Moses isn't done though. Even though God wants him to go and rescue the people, he says, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I even say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Moses has no other excuses by this time. He is utterly overwhelmed at the base of the fire. And he's like, I don't even know you. I don't know your scripture. I'm an Egyptian. All I know is the people I come from are slaves and they shouldn't be. And he says, I don't know you. So you want me to go back and tell the people I barely know that a God that I don't know wants me to come and serve them? I mean, he's just done. And God's like, no, nah, all you got to do is tell him my name. This is the final and I think probably most powerful dragon. When you face the dragon of overwhelmingness, God will reveal his name. I think some of you, the only thing you need to do right now is just say, hey, God, it's me. And I'm running from you. I'm going to keep running. So if you're going to catch me, now would be a good time. Hey, God, it's me. And I'm here to swing. I need you to, to, to make yourself known. I got some stuff we got to talk about. I need to fight. God's name every single time is the most important thing about all of the dragons we defeat because ultimately it's never us doing it. It's always him. The rest of the story is fairly well known. Moses and his brother Aaron go to Pharaoh in God's name and demand that he let the people go to worship their God. But guess what? Culture doesn't give up too easy. So Pharaoh says, nah, I don't think so. I don't believe in your God. 
I don't believe in your church. I don't believe in your people. As a matter of fact, here's more subjugation. Here's more trauma. Here's more damage. But that's not going to work this time because Moses is doing what God asked him to do. And so even though Pharaoh stubbornly refuses, God brings plagues upon the culture. And God's judgment falls upon the people and the land until they are allowed the freedom God desired. And they leave, well-armored for the journey ahead. In closing, Moses' story is your story and my story. Moses kept offering reason after reason to not be a part, and mainly because he thought his dragons were just too big. You might think you're too old. You don't have enough years left to make a difference. You might think you're too young, and you don't have to make these kind of decisions right now. Both those dragons, they're dragons of lies. They're not true. There is so much to be done, and there are so few people. Let me just say this. Uh, there are so few people that, that live in the Northwest who have a heart for what God is doing in the Northwest. I think that's why so many people have moved away because there's not that many of us who are built to do church in this kind of culture and in this kind of world because the dragons here are big and fierce and dark. But if God has placed you here, if he's called you to go and move, you should move. Just like if he's called you to go to a different church, you should go to a different church. We don't, we don't have that many parking spots anyway. So, but if, but... <laughs> I got one a quarter. It's like one every three months now that we've, we've, we've whittled that down to. But, but the, the reality is, it's only the people God has called here that are armored for this place that get to sit inside these battles for the people around us, the people that want to see what that light is that they can see as well. But we have to bring it to them. Moses' dragons were not too big. And God used him to free his people, just like I believe he's going to continue to use us. God encouraged him to fight and flee at the same time. God was good in both of those arenas. And in each offered excuse and every attempted escape, God continued to intersect perfectly who he was so that Moses could be who he was intended to be. And God got all the glory and Moses got to live an unbelievable life for the next 40 years. It's incredible. This is what God is still offering us. This is what the word of God, this adventure book is still inviting us into. He's asking, will your story be part of mine or will you continue to attempt to write your own? Will you let the name of God be what binds you? Will you let go of the past and the narrative and the movie that plays in your head? And will you engage in what God has for you now? Will you engage in the community he's building here that I believe many of you are supposed to be much, much deeper in? Relationally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, physically, all of the places that the fruit of God's presence in our lives shows up, we are supposed to be investing back into our community, not in church services, but in community in our neighbors, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families, in our businesses. This is not only church. This is a church service. But church happens outside these walls the other six days a week. And we need to remember that. But that means you and I have to armor up and go to battle. We have to be willing to fight and flee ourselves so that we can speak that language to those who are watching us and who are waiting. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you a chance to actually do that. So I'm going to have you close your eyes. I'm going to have you just sit there in this space, this space of pondering, this space of reflection. If you're not a Christ follower, if you don't do prayer, then you just reflect. Reflect or meditate on your day. Whatever it is you want to do, I'm fine with that. The Holy Spirit's going to break your code anyway. So you just, 
sit where you are and how you operate. And then I want you to think about areas in your life that there might be just a flickering of light. Areas in your life that there might just be a small presence of something beyond you that you should go and investigate. Heavenly Father, I pray that as people are searching within themselves to discover this place that you would shine brighter right now maybe than you ever have. That there would be a presence there. That within that presence there would be a peace. That they would see a sense of rescue and a sense of your way and that ultimately, Lord, they would experience your name higher than all the other names. God, may you meet with those who have journeyed with you a long time but are fatigued. May you meet with those who are curious but are certainly not committed. May you follow up with the cynic and those who are spiritualists. May you make yourself known to every single human being here, every story here. May they no longer be distracted by their excuses or their escape plans, but instead, Lord, may they just sit searching for the presence of your life and the name that sits above all names. We pray all of this in Jesus. Amen. What name could contain such a glory? In the cool breezes of Eden, brought from the infant earth, one arose, the voice of his creator speaking his identity to life. Adam, man. And as heaven waited short with breath, the creator spoke yet another, Eve mother of all the living. So it was with Abraham, named in the promise as the father of nations, Peter, the rock upon which the church would stand. The name called to life the destiny within. The name set the stage for all that was to come. And unto us a child was born. And what name could contain his glory? For he was mighty God, as the universe gasped into being, flinging rays of light from his presence to pierce the void, to shatter the shadows to a tapestry of color. And he is mighty God, shattering our darkness, revealing our light, our truth in him. He was everlasting father when orphaned Israel needed a father's touch. When we, with grief-stricken cheeks, need the embrace of one who never leaves. When we have lost our way to dark horizons, it is our everlasting Father who lights the way home. He is Prince of Peace. When, like Elijah, we need the still small voice in the turmoil's midst. When, like David, we need the melodies of his presence to soothe our troubled minds. He is sanctuary within our trials, shepherd guiding us to still waters. And yes, he is wonderful counselor, God who gives counsel in the chaos, crafting disorder into calm and failure into beauty. He is a voice for the voiceless. He is dignity for the stateless soul. It is he who raised up a lowly shepherd to become a king. 
He who took the fishermen of Galilee and made them leaders of history. It is the counselor who redeems our lost years, breaking chains that have kept dreams imprisoned and joy confined. The name reaches across eternity, exclaimed by the splendors of galaxies, sung by the passions of angels, roared in heaven's fervor, exalted in creation's unfettered rejoicing. What name could contain him? What title? What soul? Renown? For this is our wonderful counselor. This is our mighty God. This is our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. What name could contain Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the Great I Am. What name could contain the Word of Life, the Light of the World, the King of Kings, the Lord of All. We bow to the name that holds every other in its matchless worth. What name could contain such a glory? What name but Jesus? We cry Jesus. We cry holy is the name. together church Oh, 
pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you continue to reveal yourself. May we leave here encouraged. May we leave here with a, just a, a sense of peace, God, a sense of your presence as you continue to rescue and reveal and work with our stories right where we are. We thank you for the way you love us. We lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, so listen, before you leave, uh, say hi to somebody. We have ice cream for everybody on the way out. Maybe visit somebody that you haven't before. And then uh, we'll see you next week. God bless. I hope you have a great week.